Could your financial decisions today be costing you thousands or even hundreds of thousands of euros in the long term? Well, today we are going to find out. Dear wonderful people, welcome back to the future of here at Nordic Fintech Magazine. My name is Chris and if you've been paying attention to the news lately, you may have noticed that as the world recoils from decisions made by governments around the world to fight COVID-19, the effects of the many controversial monetary policies put in place during the past two years are starting to be felt. With inflation at 5% in Europe, the highest since 1991, it's never been so important to have a tight grip on your finances. So for the next couple of weeks, we will bring you interviews directly with founders and experts on financial optimization who will share with us why knowing how to optimize your finances, whether you're an individual or a business, could be more critical than ever. Today, we will be speaking to Stine Kalmer-Jorgensen, CEO and co-founder at DreamPlan, a Danish fintech that is helping customers save thousands of euros in the long run by using technology to make small changes in the way in which they manage their money. Stine, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, let's just start talking about uh, financial optimization. Tell us what is it and uh, why should anyone care about it? So financial optimization is is the idea that you look at whatever you have, whatever you save up um, in your life, and you make sure that you save it up in the best possible way. So, and when I say savings, I mean what you pay into your mortgage or off on your mortgage into your, your house or your flat, what you save up in your pension fund, maybe through your employer, and also all the money you uh, put away in a bank account or maybe you do a little bit of investment and a lot of people look at that as three four completely separate things so apples bananas strawberries but it's all the same currency and if you are able to look at it as the same currency in light of the different ways that it's being taxed or the different ways that you can gain on interest you can accumulate much more wealth over time or potentially much more wealth over time than if you just look at it as separate ways of, of saving. Okay, so um, most of us know how to earn some money. Uh, maybe some of us have savings or investments. Shouldn't people already know how to optimize their finances? They should. Ideally, they should. And ideally, their banks would help them. Um, over the last 10, 15 years, banks have sort of cut back around 25% of advisory hours. And so a banking advisor these days would have maybe a thousand families they need to cater to, whereas they would historically have 200. So it's not so much that the banks don't want to help, it's just that it's, they don't really have time to help people optimize across. So that's sort of one aspect. And then over the last 20, 25 years, there's also been created so many more products that makes life flexible for the individual. But all of that is very complicated. It's complicated to understand uh, things that might be counterintuitive and that are very ab abstract. And, it's, and a lot of times it's worth looking at, the, at your timeline as well. So at yourself in this moment and in the future. And that abstraction is just really hard for the human mind to, to uh, grasp. 
And, and so what we're proposing or what I'm proposing is that a lot of this could be data-driven and you could take your decisions based on actual... I'd like to go a little bit in more detail about that. So let's, uh, let's assume the, an individual who has a salary, maybe some savings and a mortgage. Um, what benefits would that person experience from optimizing their, their finances in, in the present, in the now? So the way that, that I think about it is that you, at, to initially you should focus on optimizing the savings that you're already accumulating. So that would really be to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to look into my long money, I would call them, right? So into the, my accumulated wealth over time. And that I should be able to see how much can I optimize without actually changing anything in my day to day. So with the, with the way I'm already spending money or saving money, is there any way, anything I can do with, with the box I'm putting away for savings? And for, for a lot of people, that's, that would uh, accumulate to half a million Danish kroner or even more over time, just changing around the way your saving patterns is. Of course, once you've done that, it's worth looking into your day-to-day -day finances and say, is there anything in my budget that I could optimize? But I think in comparison to a lot of the solution that all solutions that exist in the market, looking into your budget is going to help you accumulate maybe 50 kroner here, 100 kroner here, which is also something. But if, that, if you accumulate those 50 or 100 kroner in a saving pattern that is not optimal for you, is not going to gain as much as if you start looking at the long money and then return and look at the short money or the or your day-to-day. -day. So, um, if in this case we seem to have a situation in which, uh, well, in most markets they're they're customer they're demand-driven, right? So the, you have an indi uh, individuals that have a particular need and they they go out looking for suppliers that can satisfy that need. But in this case. It, it seems like the, there's no clear uh, understanding of the problem that might uh, require the, uh, a product or a service like, like financial optimization. So how do you go about introducing into the market and conveying the value of a product for which there is no clear demand for? We have taken the people who's already used our, our solution and then we've taken that uh, difference between the wealth they would have if they just continued the pattern that they are saving the savings patterns as, it, as is with the saving patterns that we recommend and as i said that's for for a lot of people half a million danish corner or more and and then we're using that as a communication tool and most people even if they don't think that it might apply to them they think okay so this is a family that actually looks very much like our family and they would be able to accumulate so much more wealth let's see what happens and because the dream plan service is free to use uh, as a basic service, just to get that overview, you can go into the solution and, and get your own dream plan number, so to speak, see what, how, what is the possible um, increase in wealth for my family. And it seems to be a way of driving the market. We, we, quite, we have quite a quite traction on that particular uh, message. I have to say though that the people who use our service and, and are recurring um, and who we also talk to because we have a paid service where you can talk to a, a wealth advisor. They are, they are people who, are, who maybe already accumulated wealth and they understand that there is a potential for more passive income. Um, 
they don't have the time to do their own spreadsheets or their own support, um, and they don't feel as if they they need and they want a neutral voice. They don't want to talk to their private banker only or or not at all. But I think we're sort of quite successful using those two channels of ambassadors and and examples. Okay, so hearing you describe the challenges and the problem of, of uh, financial optimization, you come across as very passionate. So my question is, what drove you initially to start Dream Plan? It is very important for me. Financial optimization or finances or your, your savings, they're just a symbol of all the opportunities that you have as a human being. And what could be more, what could be more fun and better to work with and to actually help create possibilities for people. And so that was really what drove me to this. And, and I, before I started DreamPlan, I had a long career in, in large corporates and in two large banks. And they do a really good job being banks, but actually servicing and making customer-driven digitization is, is very, it's, it's, a, it's very limited. They have very limited time and space and resources because they do so much more for many other things, banking products, risk, uh, credit, that, uh, that to do that, to, to actually make a service that is going to democ democratize uh, uh, your finances or our finances, we, I needed to do as a fintech outside the, the incumbent. And so that's really what drove me to start doing that. Okay, so um, help me understand as a founder, what is, uh, what is the main challenge that you've experienced in bringing your value proposition across uh, so it can be understood by the market? I think, but that's, I mean, that's even a textbook, <laughs> that you start out with a thought, you start out with, or oh, I started out with the idea that, oh, so because the banks don't have the time to do this themselves, if I build it and I make sure that I build it with all the IT security, completely documented and, <clears throat> and um, all regulation supporting what we're building, then the banks are going to be really happy about it and interested and they're going to want to service their customers with this tool. Um, and I have had, or I do have still very fruitful conversations with, with all, all the big banks and then all the banks actually in, in Denmark. Um, but of course, we're still in that maturity where, or in that phase of maturity where the large banks still have to find out which which fintechs can they work with and how and how does it work and and what about the IT security when they're not when we're not building on on their stack and so on. Okay, so um, if I understand what you're telling me, um, is is there a challenge in working with banks um, where whereby you might be augmenting their value proposition, but at the same time when you're developing a product or a service that can be in direct competition with the banks. How, how do you balance that? Yeah, so <clears throat> up until now it hasn't felt as if, as if the banks that we're working with feel as if we are competing with them. I think that there is, a, there is an understanding and probably some truth to it as well, that the people who, the customers that the banks have, the service they need from their advisors, they get, they call the, the bank, they call the advisors and they get the service from the advisors. Um, the banks themselves know they can't be neutral. It's kind of within the, the idea that they are a bank and they are going to sell their own products. So what they do and already do with, with other uh, third parties is that they uh, get the interest of the customer 
and then once the customer has some kind of idea that they want a certain product or a certain product uh, basket, they kind of take over from there. And of course, they have the advisory service responsibility and they also have the banking license to actually sell the product. And the, the, the understanding within the banks is that that's, that's a very strong position to have and that's not something that we threaten. So at the moment, it's a very fruitful uh, relationship with them. Of course, in my vision, I could understand that at some point they would feel as if Dreamplan would take over too much of the customer interac interaction. But I'm looking forward to that right. and to that kind of cooperation, right? Because that would also give more power to the customer via a distribution platform and there would be some kind of dynamics going back into the banks. And I think the banks in that sense are good at actually accommodating products that helps people. Uh, it just takes a longer time and they need to feel the, the push from customer perspective. Okay, and if we, if we look to the next two to three years, what can we expect to see from, from Dreamplan uh, as part of your product portfolio? So we are in the process of getting a license to actually advise people. So that means that at the moment we're only giving an optimization solution and you'd have to, to talk to a bank to be able to translate that optimization into actual products. So we cannot recommend product as is. Once we have an advisory license from the FSA, we can recommend what kind of products should you onboard yourself into if you want that optimization. Uh, both in terms of, of your risk profile, but also if you have certain a particular uh, interest in, say, um, sustainability, sustainable products or, or other other aspects that you might be, be particular about in terms of how you want to or what products you want to execute your optimization into. So let's let's talk about entrepreneurship now. Now you've mentioned to us that uh, you used to uh, work for corporates, for various corporates, and then at some point you saw that there was a need for a particular service in the market and you decided to become an entrepreneur and to launch your own fintech. What can you tell us about the myths versus the realities of becoming an entrepreneur? I think there's a myth about like young, coke drinking, maybe often male, uh, in a basement and you kind of code away and then you, like at some point you've coded enough and then you launch it and then you're successful and hallelujah. And of course the reality is very different. There's a lot of young people and we drink a lot of coke, but <laughs> but it's it's uh, at least in Copenhagen, it's, it's Copenhagen Fintech Lab as a community or as a, as a physical meeting point is a very affluent uh, place where, where you have a lot of different profiles. And I think jumping into doing a Fintech once you, are, you have career, a career that's actually giving you insights into the, the legislative aspects of, of finance and, and uh, and the, and the huge array of knowledge that are, and products and aspects of finance is, is a huge advantage. Um, so, so in that sense, I think the myth about like being young and, and just go for it is, is a, it's very dynamic and it's very good to have peop, young people who are just not too knowledgeable about all the limitations on your team. But I think the mixture of actually have having a lot of uh, understanding of this of the sector is has has 
proven fruitful. And then I think the Copenhagen FinTech uh, Secretariat that sort of they have a, a global outview and a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of FinTechs that has gone through their portfolio or their, or their circle. And I think they're really, really good at spotting your needs and setting you up with people that have knowledge that you could be useful for you. Well, Stine, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming and spending time with us. And uh, it's been really interesting to hear directly from you, uh, dream, uh, dream plans, vision for the future, and also your experience about being an entrepreneur. So uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on Dream Plan here at Nordic Fintech Magazine. And uh, we wish you the very best. Thank you so much.